0: Hey, welcome to episode number one hundred and thirty-two of More Than Bread. It, you know, it's been over two years since episode number one of this podcast. Of course, I I took about a year-long pause in the midst of it. But if you haven't listened to episodes one through one hundred and thirty-one, then I really don't feel bad encouraging you to consider going back at some point and, and just listening from the beginning the the episodes are really not time bound you could listen to them anytime we we started with 42 episodes reading through the whole new testament and then in the next 24 episodes we did a deep dive into the gospel of john and and then came the gospel of mark 34 sessions i think in in the gospel of mark and then it came that year long pause and and now we're back on track so my name is Dan Dan Nold I'm your host for More Than Bread and I'm also a pastor I've I've been a pastor of Calvary Church located in central Pennsylvania for 29 plus years. And over the course of those years, I've developed a, a deep love and respect um, for Scripture, for the Bible. That's what led to this podcast and and uh, where we find ourselves now in the book of Psalms. Uh, I've called this chapter of the podcast, of the podcast More Than Bread, I've, I've called it Top 40 Psalms, although it's... It's really going to end up being a few more than 40, in part because I've offered a space to your top psalms, and in part because every once in a while I add one, like this episode on Psalm 78. I wasn't going to do Psalm 78. It's kind of a hard psalm. In fact, I'm not even going to read the whole thing. It it recounts the history of Israel's relationship with God. It, it highlights the historical narratives, the stories from uh Exodus, uh, the Exodus from Egypt, the wilderness wanderings, even the days of David are referred to. But but here's what's hard: there's a pattern in the stories, this pattern of God's faithfulness, the people's disobedience, and and then the consequences of their disobedience. It, it, it's all over the place. The wilderness wanderings to highlight the Israelites' pattern of disobedience and God's faithfulness and the consequences of unfaithfulness. The, the psalm begins with a call to listen and learn from the past. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your words, your ears, to the words of my mouth. And and then it goes on to recount those those uh, those stories from Israel's history, including the miracles God performed on their behalf, their grumbling and rebellion, and God's continued provision despite uh, their unfaithfulness. The psalmist uses descriptors like a stubborn and rebellious generation, not loyal to God, refused to live by his law, kept sinning. In fact, four times it says they put God to the test. In other words, over and over again, they wanted to see how far they could push God before he pushed back. God pursues, we run. God saves, we mess up. God is merciful. We rebel. So like I said, I'm not even going to read the whole psalm. I'll let you do that later. But here's what drew me to the psalm. Here's why we're doing this psalm. When I read it, I I just couldn't get away from it because it's a charge, a challenge to care about the next generation. It's a calling to pass our faith on to the next generation. And that has been a huge passion of mine for these last few years, but especially right now. Passing our faith on to the next generation. So let me read Psalm 78, 1 through 18. But the real the real pause point is verses 1 through 8. I'm reading in the New International Version. My people, hear my teachings, listen to the words of my mouth. I'll open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known. Things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation. There's the first part, my words, first part where we really get this emphasis on the next generation passing on our faith. We're not going to hide what we know from our descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. There we have it again. Teach the children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born. And they in turn would tell their children. It's going to be a a generation after generation, these are my words, generation after generation, kind of heritage and legacy. Even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. And then they would put their trust in God and not forget his deeds, but keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation, whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. That's verses 1 through 8. Verses 9 through 18 give an example of those people whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to God. The men of Ephraim, it says in verse 9, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant. They refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. He did miracles in the sight of their ancestors, in the land of Egypt, in the region of Zoan. He divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand up like a wall. He guided them with a cloud by day, with light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag, made water flow down like rivers. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the wilderness against the Most High. They willfully put God to the test. See, this is what happens when When the faith is not passed on to the next generation. I grew up hearing this statement in my little church. The the church, I would always hear this, the church is only one generation away from extinction. Over and over again, I heard those words. They were a clarion call to pass on our faith to the next generation. So here's my theory. Number one, I believe the church has already lost the next generation. The millennials are gone. Generation Y is on its way out. Perhaps it doesn't feel that way wherever you are, but in my community, less than 1,500 to 2,000 of Penn State's 46,000 plus students, that's less than 4% who are involved in a church or, or campus ministry. The millennials are currently the most unchurched generation to ever live on American soil. And, and number two, the fact that we have lost the next generation says far more about the church than it does about the next generation. We've been wringing our hands so concerned about so many things that matter little with such little concern for things that matter much. My my generation has been more concerned about spiritual safety than dangerous devotion, more, more focused on retirement than revival, more passionate about culture's problems than Christ's presence. I love this story that Richard Foster tells of one spring when he and his wife Carolyn drove up the Oregon coast for a few days' rest from what had been a really demanding winter-speaking schedule. The first morning there, Richard got up before the sun. His wife was still asleep, so he quietly slipped out for an early walk on the beach. Other than the seagulls, he was quite alone. The tide was out. The night mist was burning uh, away from the sunrise. Nearby was this huge monolith, perhaps you've seen it, well known in the area as Haystack Rock on Cannon Beach. It's this massive rock, like a a mini-mountain rising straight out of the sand, and nesting atop the rock were squadrons of birds, birds of every type. With the tide out, Foster was able to walk almost completely around this magnificent rock fortress. He had never seen anything to match, and he marveled at its stubbornness. Standing against the unrelenting attack of the ocean waves, It stood, (laughs) majestic. By this time, the sun had broken over the distant mountains, and the splendor of it all made him catch his breath. He exclaimed out loud, This is so beautiful. He writes, Now, I was not in the least trying to be religious. I was simply taking in the wonder of light and trees, ocean, and mist. There was, however, a response so clear. (laughs) I know. I made it. Foster blurted out, Thank you, Lord. And what followed was for him a particularly sweet time of prayer. He listened to and talked with God. He worshiped and laughed and and gave thanks. Foster had an amazing encounter with the creator of all things, the unshakable God who still speaks. But what took place next is what has stayed with me ever since I first read Foster's book on prayer. Listen and picture it in your mind. He writes, I'd come to a cliff overlooking the beach. So he's left the haystack rock and gone up to this cliff overlooking the beach. On top, he said, was a forest of hemlock and western cedar. I was admiring one giant western cedar especially. I knew it took several centuries for this tree to attain its present size. And then as I took three steps to the right, I saw what had been hidden from my view. Another large but obviously rotten western cedar. Some sprouts of green went out on two sides, but it would only be a matter of time before the tree died, for its center was exposed, struck by lightning in the distant past. As I examined the decaying tree, the word of the Lord came to me saying, this is my church. When he heard those words, tears came to his eyes. He had worked in churches all his life, and he knew it was true. The church, while huge and with some life remaining, was decaying and and then for some unknown reason, he turned 180 degrees and looked back at Haystack Rock in the distance. The, the tide had come in and the rock was completely surrounded by water. The waves savagely breaking against it, but it stood strong and glorious. And, and God spoke again and said, but this is what my church is going to be. This is what my church is going to be. Can we be honest that the church in America isn't doing so well? Every generation is less connected to the church than the generation before. We're not passing our faith on. According to one study, there's about a 4% chance that a 10-year-old today will end up a fully surrendered follower of Christ in their 20s. We're losing the next generation because we talk about following Jesus, but we're actually pursuing safety and comfort and stuff the percentage of Americans who believe in Christ is on the decline. Not only is the next generation leaving the faith and and rejecting it in record numbers, but a recent Barna study tells us that 35% of the next generation actually believes that the church is actually doing harm to the communities in which it's found. Not that it's irrelevant or neutral, it does harm. There's 96,000 plus people in in Center County, that don't believe the church holds any value for them whatsoever. And community after community, if we hold the image of Christ up over the image of the church, we we have to admit there's often a difference between how Christ was and how we are. We, we've struct- structured our our mission around stages instead of streets. We're producers of content from pulpits, but we shy away from incarnation around tables. We we know, we know, we know that Jesus is everywhere, but we only look for him in a building on Sunday morning. And then too often we hear his words and forget them as we walk out let me give you an example when when Barner researches the state of Christianity they distinguish between levels of commitment so so some claim no connection to Christianity and then a level up from those are those who identify as Christians but they really do nothing with it they're just identifying as a Christian a third level up are born-again Christians they believe in Jesus and the cross and the resurrection they they believe they need to accept Jesus to go to heaven they they believe these things but it doesn't go much farther in terms of actions how they live their lives they're they're really fans in the stands, not players on the field. And then finally, you have those who Barna calls, those who have a biblical worldview. In other words, they know Christ in his words. They they've surrendered to Jesus. They filter what they know about life through biblical truths. They, they seek to respond to the world like Jesus did. They have a biblical worldview. Now, Barna says that pre-COVID, You know, back there in 2019, early 2020, pre-COVID, about 6% of the U.S. had a biblical worldview. (laughs) You would think there's no way to go up from there, right? Post-COVID, it went down to 4%. The millennial generation is our largest generation, and they are our parents now, but only 2% of millennials have a biblical worldview. In other words, the next generation has not been told, and the one after that is not being told about the wondrous deeds of God so that they would know him and put their trust in him and tell their future unborn children who will tell their children about him. That's not happening. And and yet i got to tell you that somewhere in between helpless desperation and hopeful anticipation, I do believe not, not because of our goodness or our power, but because of Christ, I do believe that our story is not over. I do believe Jesus is calling us to a new thing. He's writing a new chapter for the next generation. For the last 25 plus years, longer than and some of you listening maybe have been alive, there's been no greater prayer on my heart than the prayer for revival, the prayer for a mighty move of God, even right here in my community, here in Central PA, at Penn State University, and in every college, high school and middle school in Central PA. You know, Moses is my biblical mentor. If you don't have a biblical mentor, you, you should have. And, and I'll be honest, I have a growing suspicion that if revival is the promised land, I will see it but not live in it. But at the same time, God is helping me see that while Moses didn't get to live in the land, he was a friend of the Father, and nothing matters more than that. And yet I believe with all my heart that the next generation will live in the land of revival. For those of you listening, that's what God is offering to you, the next generation. I just have this sense that God wants me to tell you, even if if it's only one or a dozen or or, or 40... who are listening to this, I have this sense that God wants me to tell you, you are not the church of tomorrow. You are not the dreams that are yet to be. You are the church of today. You are the dreams that God is releasing now. And if you will consecrate yourself to follow Jesus with all your heart, mind, and strength, Father, God will be with you. The Lord has chosen you to do a great work Be strong and do it. Be the ones that turn the heart of your generation back to God. Be the ones who feed kids around the world. Be the ones who serve cities and love those who despise you. Be the ones who become so like Jesus that no matter where you go, there he is. I love that picture in the Gospels of Jesus hanging out with kids. (laughs) Let the little children come to me. He called for the children to come. and, and, And for those of you who are... Parents of the next generation. I just I, I want us to hear Jesus saying, Man, I love your kids. It's hard to find fault with Jesus if he didn't have time to pay attention to a bunch of little insignificant kids. I mean, he was a busy man with a vital mission. Humanity is counting on him. He's got a lot on his mind, but there he is embracing kids. And if we're truly looking for Jesus, we might do well to hang out with the next generation. Be interruptible. So many kids are living in the margins today, but Jesus is saying, I love your kids. How many of us need to hear Jesus say those words right now? So what can we do? Well, we need to do everything that we can do to pass on our faith to the next generation. We need to tell our stories of God at work in and through us. You need to tell your kids and your grandkids the kids in your neighborhood, about God at work in us and through us. We need to tell our kids about the times when we screwed up, but God came through. We need to tell them, and we need to show them. We need to model our relationship with God for the next generation. They need to see us reading the Bible, listening to a podcast like this. They need to see us on our knees in prayer, and and we need to pray. You know, I think more than anything, Psalm 78 reminds me that we need to pray. In fact, let me just give you a few prayer requests for the next generation. Pray for the prodigals. Pray that those who have walked away from Jesus would return. That they would experience God's grace and spread it far and near. Pray for identity. We need to pass on the reality of, of our identity in Christ. There's so many who struggle with feelings of worthlessness and, and shame that they're not enough, not good enough, not worthy of love. Pray for the love of God to surround and fill those struggling with shame. Pray that they would gain a sense of their identity in Christ. Pray for relationships. A deep and meaningful connection is a need for every generation, but the next generation has experienced so many broken relationships. Pray for the restoration of relationships with family and friends, and especially God. Pray for sexual purity. 64% of people aged 13 to 24 actively seek out pornography weekly or more often. Child porn is one of the fastest growing online businesses. And this affects the next generation in so many ways. And and that's just the pornography portion of sexual purity. Pray for passion. Passion today is so often distracted into a, a thousand different small pursuits from screen time to binge watching, Netflix to vocation to family. Ask God to awaken a deep longing that only He can fill in this generation, and pray that Christ would become their number one all-consuming passion. And finally, pray that this generation will experience awakening and revival from coast to coast. let me just read that psalm one more time, just the first eight verses. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob, established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. They all would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. And so, Father God, we pray, every one of us listening and, and myself, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon the next generation, that you would bring the prodigals home. Oh, God, would you bring them home? Would you would you help those who are struggling with identity, gender, sexual identity, just a, a sense of shame of not being good enough or worthy of love? Would you pour your love out upon them? We pray for relationships, to be connected, to be restored, to be redeemed. We, we pray for sexual purity. Oh, God, that that children would not be um, impacted by this. We pray for a passion, not, not just little distracted passions, but a, an overwhelming passion for God. A deep longing that, that Christ would become their number one all-consuming passion. And, and finally, God, we pray for revival that this generation would experience awakening and revival, our kids and our grandkids, our great-grandkids, that they would experience awakening and revival from coast to coast. Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who can do this, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.